the reading is taken from John chapter 6, verses 60 to 69. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is what I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lens. Father, come speak to us through your words uh, now. Send your Holy Spirit that we may understand what you have to say to us. Lord, give us um, hearts that understand and give us the courage to live in the light of um, your truth in this week ahead. Amen. So, um, as I mentioned, we're returning one last time to the finish up our mini-series on prayer. Uh, this was a subject that we were looking at in Lent this year, and um, we sort of ran out of time. Easter came along, and so we're just going to um, finish that now. We were using a template, um, a model of prayer suggested by Pete Gregg in this book, uh, How to Pray, um, and uh, associated with uh, the prayer course, which I know some of you here have done. Um, it's a really simple model based on the four letters of the word pray. And uh, we created some sort of physical reminders um, for the kinesthetic learners like me um, who find it, you know, just the words themselves. So um, first we had, let's see if you can remember these, we had P for pause. Can anyone remember the action we had for this a few weeks ago? Okay, well done math. Yeah, yeah so two fingers. Um, in, yes, anyway. Um, in the pause symbol, sort of like the two lines you get on the... See, does anyone have a CD player anymore? I still, I use CD players. That's the two lines, that's pause. Um, and, uh, you know, Rach Wooden preached on this and she talked about how in prayer we start by stopping. That's the first act of prayer. We start by stopping. Then we had uh, rejoice, anyone uh, other than math. I'm sorry, I don't have Haribo to give out. I know if I, with the kids, if I had Haribo, everyone would be doing it. Yes, thank you, Sharon. Yes, rejoice. Um, hands in the air in celebration. And we talked about how our rejoicing isn't necessarily linked to our circumstances. Rather, we choose to rejoice because of who God is. Um, and the broken world that we live in right now is not the full picture, which will end with the renewal of all things. So to rejoice is a choice. Um, thirdly, we had ask, ask anyone like this, sort of cupped hands. Yes, Masood, very good. I saw people are like nervous of doing this. They don't want to name check, do they? I'm sorry. Okay, well done. Um, we see that our Heavenly Father expects and desires that we bring our requests to Him. Because in all of this, 
what it's all about is his priority is relationship with us. And, you know, in relationship, people ask and receive things from one another. And then so finally, uh, part four, why for yield? I've sort of given it away there. The why for yield, we um, touched on this on Palm Sunday with the crowd welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem as king, but struggling really to truly yield to him when they discovered that he hadn't really come to be the kind of king that they wanted or expected. Um, you know, they wanted Jesus, they thought the king was here to boot the Romans out, boot the Roman occupiers out, and Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm here to do. So we see this tension throughout the Gospels. We get Jesus' kingship sort of becoming clearer and clearer, but people struggling to truly yield to him, to his kingdom, his priorities, for a kind of a wide range of reasons. It was true for the Romans, um, it was true for the crowds, it was true for the religious leaders, and, and yes, it was even true for his disciples. So perhaps it shouldn't surprise us that this is hard for us too. And really, it's where it comes to the crunch for us today. Can we... Will we truly submit to him? Your kingdom come, your will be done. And, you know, nearly half of this book addresses the kind of yield part of the prayer model. And I'd encourage you to get hold of this um, and read it. I, I won't really be covering much of it today. I decided for this, I've actually got two copies by chance. So would anybody like this copy? You can have this copy. First hand up gets the book. Okay, Adele. There you go. Let's do it. Hang on. Da, 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 da. Good catch. There we are. Right. I've lost my prop now. No, no, it's fine. We <laughs> kid. Um, so uh, let's do this together one more time. Pause. Rejoice. Ask. Yield. This is what Pete Gregg says about yielding in prayer. The final step in the dance of prayer is surrender. It's a clenched fist slowly opening. It's an athlete lowering herself into an ice bath. It's a field of California poppies turning to the sun. We yield to God's presence on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, a question. How do you prioritize what you pray for? You know, just think about the needs of the world and the time that you have to kind of ask God to change things. Let's assume for a moment that the, the need is greater than the time you have to spend asking. What makes your list and why? Maybe you start with those who are nearest and dearest. Um, you know, the needs that our hearts are most naturally drawn to, the sick family member, the bereaved friend, the struggling neighbor. Then there's the kind of local and wider societal needs that directly affect our lives, public health, the NHS, the crime, mental health crisis, relational breakdown. Then there's the really big scale stuff, war, famine, refugees, pandemics, injustice, poverty, racism, the climate crisis. And of course, there's the whole witness of the church, God's mission in the world today, evangelism, sharing the good news. Perhaps you turn that order kind of upside down in some sort of Maslow's triangle of needs, 
kind of format. You know, I pray for uh, that thing over there because the need is seemingly greater than kind of this need over here. Um, If you were here earlier in the series, you will remember the parable of the mosquitoes where Pete Gregg struggled to reconcile God's answering of comparatively trivial prayers when there are surely more urgent things for his attention. If you want to hear any of the um, previous talks in this series, you can find them on our SoundCloud stream. But whichever way you look at it, the need for intercessory prayer, that's praying for other people and situations, is unlimited. Not to mention our own needs, which we sometimes call petition. Um, If you're anything like me, you always have needs that you want God to do something about. So we're left with a choice when we pray, either to speak very, very fast and cover a lot of ground, or we just make these kind of huge catch-all prayers. Dear Lord, we pray for world peace and the universe. Amen. Or just to accept that we can't possibly cover everything. Which leaves us with a question, what's the point? When I was at um, university as a 19-year-old, I was, along with others inspired by the 24-7 prayer movement that Pete Gregg, who wrote that book, um, founded. And we would book a room on the university campus and we committed as a group of Christians to have people praying in that room 24 hours a day for a whole week. And we'd sign up for an hour, um, you know, maybe two if we were feeling really keen, and we'd head off at the appointed time. Uh, the fun slots, the really fun slots, were the ones in the middle of the night. This kind of felt kind of exciting. Um, and uh, I booked one slot with a friend uh, to coincide with returning from a night of clubbing, actually. So 3 a.m., it worked out quite well. We went clubbing, got some KFC, went to pray. And uh, we worshipped, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And then we handed over to someone else who worshipped and prayed and prayed and prayed. And the interesting thing was the more time we spent there, the more time we spent praying, the less we found ourselves asking God for stuff. And it wasn't that we had covered everything by day five, um, or that the needs of the world had gone away, or that it wasn't right to be praying for people at Exeter University to come to know Jesus any longer. But it was like our praying eventually led us into a place of stillness. Uh, A place where even the externalizing extroverts like me ran out of words. And we found ourselves standing, sitting, kneeling in God's presence still. And I think that was the place that we began to learn what it meant to yield to God in prayer. And, you know, I think, truthfully, we discovered that this was the end point. This was the goal of it all, to sit at the feet of Jesus, our hearts open to him. And this was the place of relationship that he wants for us and where we can start to receive from him. And, you know, as the the week went on, people would write down stuff. We covered the walls of the room with lining paper and uh, people would write and draw all over them, noting down particular scriptures or pictures or words of knowledge or insights or thoughts, poetry, songs, prophecies, jokes occasionally. And we'd leave these kind of little notes of encouragement for those we handed over to um, for the next hour. I remember one note left me by a friend uh, called Natalie and her friend Jess, um, who I was just starting to take an interest in. Um, at that point. 
And what we learned in those places of prayer was that, yes, God cared about these things that we were asking about. Yes, it was right that we spent time praying about them. The Bible commands us to. But the ultimate end was that he wanted to be with us and to transform us, to change us, to inspire us by his Holy Spirit. And that all comes from adopting a posture of yielding. Your kingdom come, your will be done, I surrender, I yield. Now I'd love to spend some time going deeper into the context of our reading today, draw out a little bit more of what's going on in it, but I'm not going to do that right now. But please you know, do go away, take a look. Um, John chapter 6, an interesting chapter. Um, in essence, the, the background of the story, this is one of those occasions I was talking about where people are saying, yes, Jesus, we're with you. We're ready to listen. Teach us. And then Jesus teaches them and they, they don't like what he has to say. There's this kind of mismatch between what the people want from Jesus and what Jesus is all about. And the result of this mismatch is this, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It's a real kick in the teeth for Jesus, isn't it? growing popular fledgling movement suddenly loses its popularity. This is not the Messiah you were looking for. Oh, that's a Star Wars reference, come on. It's nearly May the 4th, Star Wars Day. Come on, give me some credit there. An Obi-Wan Kenobi paraphrase on Simon, never mind. Actually, I was, I was thinking about this earlier. We did a bit of translation work on John's Gospel. It was one of the things that we did at Vicar Factory. And... Um, if you translate John's gospel most literally, what I discovered is that you always end up sounding, Jesus always comes out sounding like Yoda, sort of the bread of life I am. <laughs> I probably shouldn't try to do the impression. Anyway, right, back to um, focus. Where were we? The, imagine, so people are leaving en masse this movement. Imagine being one of the 12 at this point. You've given up everything and you go and follow Jesus. You're part of something big and growing and is exciting and then everyone is suddenly walking away and Jesus turns to them actually it's the first time in John's gospel that um, the kind of inner band of 12 disciples are called the 12 and he turns to the 12 and he says you're not going to leave as well are you going to go the way of the crowd and we get this kind of defining answer from Peter. Just before we hear it, I want to skip back to Genesis 3, the story in the garden. God says, this is my way. Adam and Eve essentially say, like the crowds in this story, no, this is too hard. We're not up for this. And they walk away from God. They have a choice to yield or to walk away. And they choose walking away. And that's the choice that the 12 have at this point you do not want to leave too do you and peter offers up this i guess it's just the most honest words of yielding that i can think of verse 68 lord to whom else shall we go to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life you're the holy one of god Peter, who's left his fishing nets, says, you're all I have. Where else can I go? 
what else can I put my hope in? Whether I like what you're saying or not, I'm in. You're God. I surrender. I yield. I'm yours. And yeah, this is what discipleship is all about. It's coming to the conclusion that there really is no other option to following Jesus. You'll have heard the um, kind of classic cultural critique that says, oh, your faith is just a crutch to help the weak. You know, the correct response, of course, is don't be ridiculous. My faith isn't a crutch. It's a wheelchair. It's a mobility scooter. It's a life support machine. (laughs) I need way more than a crutch. You know, the past two years has seen perhaps the biggest single drop in church engagement in this country, arguably in history. I don't just mean uh, kind of here at All Souls. This is a countrywide phenomenon. 15% decline in Sunday attendance in London. 35% amongst children and families. And believe it or not, at All Souls, it's more like 50% if we go back a couple of years. And there might be all sorts of reasons for that. Some of them I know of very good reasons. And you know, we don't yet know whether that drop in numbers is temporary or if it's permanent. The dust is still sort of settling on the pandemic and the huge societal shifts that it's brought about, isn't it? But I suggest the difference, or maybe one difference, between those of us who have stuck around, including those who, by the way, have joined us over the last 12 months. Um, Hello. By the way, great to have you with us. So glad that you're with us now. The difference is on one hand saying, yep, Jesus is pretty interesting. I think church might have something to offer but I've got other options too. And on the other hand, saying like Peter, Jesus, where else am I going to go? You're the one with words of eternal life. You're the one it's all about. From now till the day that I die, I'm, I'm going nowhere. I'm yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I surrender. I yield. That's the posture of surrender. That's the posture of yielding. And I just want to end by explaining what that looks like in the context of of prayer. So we've seen Jesus' model of prayer is not passive. It's not, um, you know, kind of meditation as the world thinks of it. um, Or mindfulness, although I'd argue both those practices are natural consequences of prayer. Jesus invites us to pause, come as we are, in the attitude of rejoicing and to ask him to intervene in his world. But the yielding is about putting the ball in God's court and then kind of waiting for him to return serve. And there are many ways that we can do that. I'm particularly conscious that some of us might be thinking here, I don't know where to start with this stuff. Um, This is all new to me, in which case, again, so glad you're here. Stick around. Love to talk with you more. Love to pray with you. You know, we could talk about the kind of ancient practice of contemplative prayer, which is just this amazing way of encountering Jesus in the scriptures. And uh, this isn't a workshop now, but we'll, we'll talk more about those things in the future, I'm sure. But the point is this. It's so easy to think of our prayer as ending when we finish speaking. When our list is done, we've hit send and we say our amen. 
when actually prayer is about what happens next. It's about waiting on God's response. That's what the yielding is ultimately about. It's about listening. And at the heart of the teaching in in John 6 that, that turned the crowds off was this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. That's what people couldn't handle. That's the thing that made them all turn away. Jesus saying, I'm, I'm what you need. Ultimately, I'm life for you. To yield to him is to accept that. That ultimately what we need is found in Jesus. And it made me think of mealtimes at home when we sit down to sort of say or sing a blessing before we eat. Um, you know, we thank God for the food, for those who have provided it, who have played a role in bringing it from growing it to putting it on our plates. And then maybe we bring a a kind of a request to God. And then we tuck in. The natural next step is to receive and eat the food. How pointless would it be if we all said amen at the end of that and then got up and left the table? It would completely miss the point of the meal. That's what yielding in prayer looks like. We bless the Lord. We bring him our requests. We sit down to eat. We eat of Jesus, the bread of life. We receive what he has to say to us, to feed us. And you know, the miracle is that this is what the yielding ultimately leads to. Yielding is not as we fear to our loss. It's actually to our nourishment. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I surrender, I yield leads us to receiving him, his words, his guidance, his reassurance, his challenge, his insight, his purposes, his kingdom.